0: Thank you so much, Jake. And it's a privilege to be with you. Thank you for letting me be a part of your ministry and to serve with you. Um, uh, I've been pastoring for over 26 years, and now I'm the district minister for the Baptist General Conference in Saskatchewan. Um, so it's a bit of a change in ministry, a very different focus. Baptist General Conference of Canada is a conference of churches that hold strictly to the infallible authority of scripture and yet with the freedom of allowing the Holy Spirit to move in the midst of each church however they see fit with the DNA that God has blessed them with and so we are grateful to see the diversity within our conference and yet the spiritual stamina and I sense that here today and I'm so grateful for that and so I know that as a church you're going through transition and so I just want to be a part of helping, not helping you in the transition, but encouraging you today. Um, the, the Baptist General Conference is a movement that's primarily uh, Western Canada focused. However, there is uh, we have churches in the um, in in Quebec, uh, Haitian churches as well as on the East Coast. And we've seen a growing interest here in in Southern Ontario as well. We have churches in Toronto and and there's one now that's in the process of wanting to become a part of the Baptist General Conference. And uh, we just recently have uh, partnered with uh, Converge, which is our, our partnership in the U.S. here uh, through Detroit. And um, there's a, a ministry that is going to be opening up in Windsor to the Arabic community. And so there's a pastor there that wants to do a church plant reaching out to the Arabic people. And so it's interesting how we work together across this land Doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter who you are, but if you love Jesus and you love his word, we work together. Amen. So uh, before I get into the scripture, I know my brothers prayed for us already. I just want you to pray with me. I want you to pray specifically for this moment that we have together. I want to, I want you to bow with me and I just want to guide you a little bit, if you will. So father, as we come together, I just pray that as this church family, as we meet together, I pray right now that in the quietness of their heart, they would welcome you. Welcome you into this sanctuary as we have been praying all morning. And I know they routinely pray this here, but right now I pray that each one would just say, welcome here, Holy Spirit. and not just generally speaking for being in the presence of this sanctuary, I pray that they would welcome you into their heart afresh to just do whatever you need to do, however you want to speak to them through your word, that they would just simply say, Lord Jesus, my heart is open. I want to be sensitive to whatever it is you want for me thank you for this moment together, Lord, and we give you praise for how you will work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for you as a church, you are going through a transition in your hiring of a new lead pastor. And in the district that I serve in the last year and a half, three of our churches have gone through exactly what you are going through, and I've been walking with them through that. We currently have one of our churches that's probably It's a thriving church and and they're going through the process and they're in that time period right now where they are formulating through their search committee, already looking at the possibilities of who that person could be for them. It's a critical time as a church. And there's a relationship between you and a church as with yourself and your new lead pastor and his family as they come. And that relationship uh, between you and your new lead pastor and family it takes some time to click. It takes some time to feel natural. And I don't want, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that with you, but you're gonna to have to be a little bit intentional about that. And you'll have to really engage with how will this this relationship be and how can we move it forward so that both your new lead pastor, you as a church, will have this trust. For each other but also that that common feeling of we're in this we love the Lord together how can we serve together and you just put all the other things aside and so you're gonna have to be a little intentional with that now for today I want to spend some time on encouraging you as a church it may bring some challenge to you as an individual that God by his spirit may want to use for your future as a church but as as an individual Now, I'm pretty sure that when the interview and candidating process happened between your leadership and the and your he's now your lead pastor coming but when he was the candidate that you were looking at I'm sure there was talk about him sharing the calling that God had on his and his family's life and that you heard that as a a congregation that God was how he would say God is calling us and if this is the place to be we are open to it and and you heard that from him Calling is always first. Without calling, you are attempting to fulfill a job or position through your own human effort and strength. And we know that that usually doesn't work well. It doesn't take long and you start to see the fruit of a person who says, I just wanted a good job, I love this community, I, I love living in Southern Ontario, or I love Leamington, I love the lake life, and I just wanted to be here, but there was no calling. That soon shows itself. After leaving the church that I pastored, it was uh, 26 and a half years, one church, the only church I ever pastored. I remember before I accepted the, the possibility of going into candidating, uh, my wife was helping her twin sister and family move to La Alberta. She was on the road, and she would phone back. We were directing a Bible camp at the time. She phoned back, how's it going, Matt? How's it going, honey? And I said, well, going good, but you won't believe what took place today. She says, what's that? She was expecting bad news. And I said, well, I just got asked if we would candidate at a church. It was quiet. <laughs> I said, hello? And all she said was, Matt, you know I never wanted to be a pastor's wife. I said, okay, see you later. <laughs> but we, 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 you know, we prayed about that, and, and God led us there. But the only reason we went is because of the calling. And a lot of times people have asked me, so you were at this church for that long. I, we felt like this is going to be where we're going to retire. This is where we are going to just simply be. And we will just live out our ministry life and, and call this home. And many people have said, well, if that's how you felt, Why did you leave? Why would you take on a district position like this within the Baptist General Conference? Why, Why would you do that? And my answer to that is the same as your new pastor, because of God's calling on my and my wife's life. And you may be thinking, well, that makes sense for pastors or missionaries. Well, that's true, but you need to understand. Saskatchewan is not where I was born and raised. I grew up farming in Port Rowan with Jake, my dad. Her sister grew up. I remember her looking after me. She says she changed my diaper. (laughs) But, you know, that's where we grew up Port Rowan. Two and a half hours, depending on who you are and what you drive. But, (laughs) two and a half hours down the lake shore. Where, like, Leamington, the Winters are somewhat milder. You're feeling like this is cold. I left minus 40 with a wind chill of minus 52. This is warm. I brought shorts. But I've asked myself many times, and I've asked the Lord, really? Why? Why would you have to call me to Saskatchewan? And my brother, who I won't mention his name, but I think he attends here, he, he said, Matt, it's always about choices. <laughs> he mentioned that a couple times. But it's, but it's, it's true, choices, but, but God leads. And there have been a number of times where I have really, really wrestled with the Lord. And I have said, okay, Lord, listen, can I just go back? I'd love to go back to Southern Ontario. I'm sure you can find me an opportunity there. I'm sure you can call me there if you so want to. And the answer has always been, Matt, you are where I want you right now. And so it'd be wise for you just to listen and stay there and make with the moves that I have for you while you're there. And so it's no different for you. You may have never thought about this, but you, living in Ontario, and especially here in Leamington, or the region around Leamington, wherever you are from, you, you are here by God's design and His intentions. In Acts chapter 17, now if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 17, and, uh, or if you have your device, I'll trust you. But uh, go to Acts 17, we're going to start at verse 16. The Apostle Paul, he is in Athens, a place known for its world-famous university as well as its council of a supreme body of judicial and legislative matters. The legislative council was known as the Areopagus, and this council was known for being deep thinkers and Paul is before this council explaining to them who the unknown god is and we're going to get into that in just a moment but with what here's what Paul says in verse 26 of Acts 17 and he referring to god made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place Now, as deep of thinkers as these men of the Areopagus were, this would have taken them into a depth that they would have never considered, and we're no different. See, when it comes to who God is and his working in our lives, we are by nature shallow thinkers. It, as an individual, you think, well, I'm here in Ontario because I was born here, or I chose to be here, or because Ontario is where the university or the college was that accepted me for my education that I wanted to take. As a result, I ended up here in Leamington for my career, and, and that's why I'm here. Or this is where I met my spouse, and so I moved here. To This is where we want to call home. A- or this is the province that accepted me to live because I immigrated from another part of the world to To Canada. And this is where I ended up. Or I married someone from here. And this is now where we live. For whatever reason you are here. Even if you feel I made the decision. You are here because of God's design. Even if you have not yet believed in Jesus Christ as your savior. God has called you here to find him. And if you're not going to find him here, he may move you somewhere else. Because that is the closest desire of his heart. That none would perish. But all would come to believe. Who in your life, this God, your creator, Jesus the Savior, Holy Spirit, your Counselor, who at one point in your life, or maybe still is, the unknown God, which includes you attending or being a part of Meadowbrook Church. You're not here by accident. God has called you here because he is fine-tuning and directing his call on your life. In 1988, my wife and I were in the Port Rowan MB Church, sitting on this side, just like yours is laid out here, sitting on this side, fourth row, right on the aisle. It was in spring. And a friend of our family, individual that's probably closer to Jake's age than mine, he had, he grew up in Port Rowan. He moved to Abbotsford. He came back to Port Rowan just to visit family and they asked if he'd mind sharing what God's been doing in his life. And he shared. This is what God's been doing in my life. And I don't remember all that he said, but it was in that moment where God spoke to my heart. And I had no idea that he had spoke to my wife's heart. So after the service, we got up, left the church, and we got into our car. And um, my wife says to me, Matt, God spoke to me. And she was just, Like, this is like, okay, it wasn't just this thought. It was like, Matt, you have to understand. God said something to me in this service. And I said, yeah, he spoke to me too. Well, what did he tell you? He said, you have to go to Bible school. She said, that's exactly what he told me. And so we went with the flow. We went with the direction and... Within months, we sold our farm and we we moved to to go to Briarcrest and where we started to to that journey, and it, and it wasn't so much that God was saying, "Well, like, He's calling me to Bible school," but it wasn't like this is where you're going to be for the rest of your life. But this is the preparing ground. Uh, we're going to look at this passage from two perspectives, and I want to get into that in a moment. But just listen carefully for a moment. Uh, calling applies to everyone yeah okay, I wasn't a pastor then I was a farmer and so calling applies to everyone and, and many Christians ask what is God calling me to and what they mean by that is God I want to know what am I supposed to do with my life what is the what's the what the when and the where I just want to know those things and I believe that there are two parts to answering that question uh, I'm going to share with you part one and then we're going to find out that second part reveals itself all on its own if you really give yourself to part one of answering that question. Now to get into this, I want to go back to Acts chapter 17. And As I mentioned earlier, Paul is in Athens and he sees verse 16 that there's a lot of idols that people are worshiping. And then verse 17, it tells us he takes time to teach in the synagogue and the marketplace. Verse 18 Paul is referred to as a babbler, a preacher of foreign divinities. In Athens, there there were strict guidelines about who can teach and different things in, in that community. And if you have something new to teach, like what they were referencing Paul as being this babbler, teacher of new things that we've never heard before, if you've got that kind of a teaching... You had to go before the Areopagus to get the okay to continue teaching it. So when people heard that Paul was teaching and what he was teaching, they said, we've never heard anything like this before. So they took him to the Areopagus to see if they would get, he would get the approval to keep on teaching these things. So follow along, Acts 17, starting at verses 22 and 23. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. And we're going to pause there for a moment. Now, I I want for us to look at this from two perspectives. The first perspective is regarding those who have no idea who God is. Paul said. He reasoned in the marketplace every day. And as a result of that, he was brought to the Areopagus. Now, what is interesting about the inscription on the altar when it says to the unknown God is that although the word God is spelt with a lowercase g, the word that is used is theos, which is used specifically for deity or supreme divinity, which if you know who you're really referring to, you would write God with a capital G. So what I'm getting at is that in Athens, the people who did not know God had this altar in place because their intuition told them there is someone, there's a supreme deity above all of this. We just don't know him. Do you know that in your community, wherever you're from, There are people that have this intuition that says there must be somebody greater above all this. I just don't know him. This is a very real example of God's calling them to know him, even though they didn't recognize it that way. And and that is God's calling for you and I. Here's point number one for this morning. God is calling me to know him. And you're going to notice that these points that I have for us are, are all in the first person. God is calling me. And the reason I put it that way is because it's very intentional. I want you to read these points for yourself. God is calling me to know him. In fact, I'd like for you to say that with me. Are you ready? God is calling me to know him. Did you hear yourself? Okay, say it to yourself quietly within your own heart and mind. Just say it. God is calling me. And pause. To know him. Do you know him? I don't mean do you know about him or like the people of Athens that you have this intuition that there is a God. It, Paul says, if, you, if that's where you're at, at best, you are religious. And religion never has and never will save anyone. If you don't know who God is, God is calling you to know him, uh, that you would have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. I said I want to look at this from two perspectives. The second perspective is that Paul not only reasoned in the marketplace, he also reasoned in the synagogue with the Jewish people. The Jews would know of God, capital G. In their culture, the teaching of God from one generation to another was something that was done without question. That—that That is what their services in the synagogue were all about. The, the one way that they did this was by retelling the stories or the events that took place to their forefathers and their ancestors. I just recently have been reading through, I went through Genesis, now I'm in Exodus, and... Reading through that portion of when the Exodus took place, you know, and all the plagues that happened, and why the Passover is so important to the Jewish people. And and the celebration of Passover was Moses, he, he was told over and over by the Lord, you make sure you tell the people that they never let this go. They must communicate this to their children, and their children to their children. It must happen. The Lord convicted me so much of this. That he said to me, Matt, have you been faithful in telling your children? This Christmas you will. And then in Genesis, I read about Jacob blessing his grandchildren. The Lord said, and You're going to do that too. Do you tell your children, your grandchildren? Do you tell them of the good things that God has done? Do you tell them? See, this is what the Jewish people are so good at. That When the Passover comes, they don't just sit down, okay, let's have a meal together. They sit down, and the first thing they do is they tell the story of what took place in the Exodus. This is why we do this. God spared us from death. When, we put the, when our ancestors put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, the death angel passed over us. He saved us. We were spared from all the plagues, especially that plague. And the Jewish people know God. But Paul's concern at the time of Athens is that they don't know God as deeply and personally as they should. That the blood of the lamb on their wooden doorposts was a type or a representation of the blood of Jesus, our lamb on a wooden cross. And so he would have told these people in the synagogue, the blood of the lamb Was our Savior. Love Him. Serve Him. So listen, as people who know God, God is calling us to know Him more deeply and more personally. You who are believers in Christ, if you remain shallow, you're in danger. And I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but I have experienced it way too many times, where people who have said, I know God, and they have claimed Jesus to be their Savior, and today they would say, I no longer believe. One of them was my youth pastor at the church that I served. God is calling me to know him. And as you begin this new year, as we have well begun it, and as the expectation of your pastor's arrival is coming, challenge yourself to know Jesus more deeply than you already do. And if you want to to know or have an assurance of what God is calling you to do, the what, the when, and the where, then start here. Get to know him more deeply. Often in the Gospels, you will read of Jesus giving the disciples authority to preach, heal, and cast out demons. In fact, Jesus called them to this. What we don't realize, or we often miss, is that before Jesus called the disciples to do, he first called them to be with him. And to get to know him more deeply. Here's an example. Mark chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. And he appointed 12 whom he also named the apostles. So that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach. And have authority and cast out demons. First just be with him. Grow deep with him. Then the what? The when and the where happens. The power and the authority to do comes out of your time in being with him. Many Christians want to jump over this, they, they, this very important calling of getting to know him more deeply. They just, Let me just jump over all that. I, I know you, Lord. I've accepted you. I don't need to grow deeper. Just tell me what and when and where. Then I'll, I'll go and I'll be happy. But first and foremost, God is calling you to know him. That's a priority. Back to our passage, Acts 17. It says, verse 22 and 23. We've read it once, but I'm going to continue in it. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the object of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Now look at what he says next. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Here's the point. God is calling me to make him known. To whom did Paul make God known? The people he was with, right there in Athens. Paul didn't say, oh my, these people that I see right here in Athens, they don't even know who God is. I better get a ticket on the next ship and go across the sea and tell those people. People of the church, don't think that you need to leave your community to go to some faraway place in the world to tell people about Jesus. I'm sure you have noticed that the world is coming to Canada. And there are people right here or wherever you are from that need to hear. Now before you think, oh boy, people of the Baptist General Conference don't believe in missions. (laughs) Let Let me clarify that. I'm all for overseas missions. The church that I served in, they still do this. They they are involved in helping pastors who are born and raised in India to be equipped and financially supported to reach people for Christ. The biggest project that we financed as a church was the building of a church in India. We sent teams to help them in ministry and however we could. And currently I mentor one of those pastors uh, weekly by Zoom to encourage him, to equip him, to serve and to reach people for Christ. Uh, We are for overseas missions. I just want you to understand, though, that you don't leave your current community for the sake of the world away from you. Who in your everyday life needs you to make God known to them? God is calling you to do that. The province of Ontario needs churches like Meadowbrook Church. The community and the region of Leamington needs Meadowbrook Church. The church that preaches and lives the word. There are denominations and individual churches that are falling away from standing on the authority of scripture. They're reducing their biblical uh, values and ethics to be more relevant and accepting to the culture around them. And it's softening everything. Which is why some churches are joining BGC in Ontario. If you are concerned about what you should say, I would suggest, don't focus on so much the words, but your actions. The words you need to speak will come as a result. In Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Notice, not not words. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, when Jesus was talking about works here, it had nothing to do with salvation but evangelism. So We are to be light in a dark world, and if our actions don't match the words that we think we need to say, our light will be discolored and not that bright. So listen carefully as I, as I explain something to you. As a follower of Jesus, the light that you shine before others is not your own light. On my own, my light is very dim, and sometimes... It is unhelpful in making God known to others. The reason why is because I have the same thing that you have, and that is the sin nature. And sometimes my light isn't very great. And so the light that I am to shine in order to make God known is not my own. It is the light that I am to be reflecting. Let me give you an example. John chapter 1, verses 6-9. through 9, It reads this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, referring to John the Baptist. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. So his desire was to make God in flesh known to people around him. Now look very carefully what verses 8 and 9 say. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. We are not the light, but we know the light. And what that means is we are to live our everyday life that reflects who Jesus, God in flesh, is, and as a result, we make him known. And the way you know who God is is by getting to know him more deeply. And the more deeply you get to know God, the brighter his light will shine through you. This is evidenced by how you conduct yourself at work, by how you conduct yourself at school, how you conduct yourself in your recreation, your social life, through the values that you keep and promote, through your lifestyle habits, through whether you reflect God's morals or ethics or priorities. Does your life cause people to think around you about who God is and desire to know him more deeply? If so, the words you need to share will come quite naturally. I could tell you some stories of my neighbors where I live right now. It's hilarious. About times where I'm thinking, oh, no, how am I going to share this? Because I know that they have no interest in this. And this has been amazing. I, I, I better not get into those stories. It will be here too long. But it's amazing that, okay, we, just, we live our life by who we are in Christ. And as they notice these things, they start to ask questions. Therefore, the words come. So don't be so concerned about, okay, what would I say if this should happen? It'll come. It'll come in that moment. And God, by his spirit, has said, I will tell you. I will give you the words. But in order for you to reflect the light, you have to spend time in the light. You know, it's kind of like this watch that I wear. It it has this wonderful technology that if it's in the sun, it reflects the light through the, the hands and the numbers glowing. Some of you have no idea what that is. It's amazing technology. Some of you are so used to your iWatch or whatever you call it. You just flick your wrist and it comes on. This one, it just glows in the dark. It's amazing. (laughs) But if the watch isn't in the light for a couple of days, it doesn't glow. If it's not in the light, it doesn't glow. If you are not walking in the light, as John says in 1 John 1 verse 7, we will not reflect the light as brightly as we should. And then we won't make God known to those around us. And the hope for words will never come. Are you walking in the light? Is it really hard for you to walk in the light? Why is it so hard? What's keeping you from walking in the light as you should? Is there something that you need to go before the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I confess. I'm not walking with you as I should, and here's why, and I know it. There are many believers who have stopped reflecting the light. They no longer bear witness about Jesus. And they're lost. Right along with the lostness of a dying world. And the world around them will not give glory to God because they're not reflecting the light. God is calling me to know him. God is calling me to make him known. Lastly, God is calling me to grow in him. We are all called to grow in the Lord. It doesn't matter how many years ago that you prayed to receive Jesus as your savior. You are called to grow. When the apostle Paul was in Athens, he said this in verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. In the synagogue, devout persons are different than the Jewish people who know God. Devout persons are those who are God-fearing Jews and Gentiles. They have a sacred awe and reverence for God that goes beyond the Jewish religion. Uh, and they, they are at the synagogue because they had no other choice. It was either go to the synagogue and hear the stories of the religious Jewish people and hopefully we'll get something that we can learn from, or it's go to the idols. And they didn't want to go there, so they stuck with the Jewish uh, synagogue. But these devout persons knew that there was more to the Jewish religion than what the Jewish religion was offering, but they couldn't grow as they should. And it's pretty sad when a person who desires to grow in their relationship with the Lord, and they attend a church that says, we fear God, but they can't grow there. So when Paul is reasoning in the synagogue, he's helping the Jewish people understand the truth of who Jesus is, And while at the same time, he's encouraging the devout persons to continue growing in their relationship with God through Christ. Stick with Jesus. Don't let these idols get in the way. Don't let the Jewish tradition deviate you. Stay with Jesus. And it doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual journey, God is calling you to grow in him. The Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That word grow, it's a continuous action. means continue growing. Would you say that you are growing right now, wherever you are in your spiritual journey? That is a key part to God's calling on your life this is significant and I'm sure here at Meadowbrook they have opportunities for you to grow when your new lead pastor comes he will have a vision for enhancing spiritual growth in your lives he uh, he will want you to grow and even the disciples who eventually became the apostles of the early church, they needed to grow. We often think, well, the apostles, they didn't need to grow. They were with Jesus, they had it all together, that they were way up here. They had, there was no growth left for them. They needed to grow, believe me. They weren't perfect. They they had character flaws. They had rough edges to their view of people and the needs around them. Uh, Let me give you an example. Luke 9. Jesus knows he needs to start his, his journey toward Jerusalem for his eventual crucifixion. On his way to Jerusalem, he wanted to stop at a Samaritan village. I want you to look at what happened. Luke 9, verses 52 to 55. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So there's a history there, by the way. Samaritans did not care for Jerusalem. They didn't care for Jewish believers. It's only in Jerusalem. That's where you gotta go. They thought, okay, Jesus, his face is set toward Jerusalem. We don't even want him here. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That's a great response. That's loving your neighbor. And look at how Jesus responds to them, verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them. Other versions of the Bible, like the King James, the New American Standard, it goes on to say, where Jesus says, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. In other words, Jesus saying to his disciples, guys, that was not of God. That is not representing me well. I'm going to Samaritan for a reason, and now you're going to blow it by that kind of character, by that kind of response, by that kind of attitude, by that kind of judgment and condemnation? Who do you think I am? I have not come to condemn the world, but to love the world. That was a time for their growth, and they did grow. Acts 4, verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus, we're right full circle back to where we started you have been called to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and the only way you're going to do that is to be with him what area of your spiritual life would you say you need to grow in the Lord the most what's holding you back if you have a means or a way of doing it write it down put it in your phone in your notes this is the area that I need to pay attention to. This is the area that I need to grow in. At the beginning of this message, I mentioned that many Christians ask, what is God calling me to? And I said, what they really mean by that is, I just want to know the what, the when, and the where. All the rest of it, I don't care about. Just tell me what, when, and where, and I'll be happy. Well, I answered, if you look at the first part of the answer to that question, which I just explained to you, the second part will come easy. See, the second part of the answer is knowing the specifically the what, the when, and the where, right? And you're wondering, maybe at this point, like, God, am I supposed to take that job? What's your will? Am I supposed to live in that city? This urge that I have within me to move to Saskatchewan, minus 40, I know you all want to be there. Is that really your will? Um... Am I to marry that person? What's your will? And if that is what I'm supposed to do, when? Where? What's all? Tell me. And and if you're taking seriously God's calling for you to know him, make him known, and grow in him, the second part is going to be very easy. For example, if you're wondering, Lord, should I marry that guy or that gal? Answer that by reflecting on part one. Will marrying that guy or that gal enhance God's call for you to know him more deeply, to make him known, and for you to grow in him? And if the answer to those questions are, well, if I marry that guy or that gal, no, that's not going to happen. I know it. Then you know God's will. But if the answer is, yeah, if I marry that person, I know that I will grow. I know that I will know him more deeply. I know that I will wanna make him known. Then the answer is possibly a very good chance is yes. God's will would be, or could be, for you to marry that person. I'm gonna call on the worship team. Always remember, start with part one of the answer to the question of, what is God's calling for me? And if you stick with part one, part two will reveal itself. I'm going to pray with you. I know there's a closing prayer, but let's just pray before the worship team leads us. Thank you so much, Lord, for this moment together. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you desire for us, first of all, to know you and to know you deeply. Oh Lord, I pray that each one here and those who are online who ha- are watching now or may watch later, I pray that you would speak to their heart about this as well. That they would truly know you, not just know about you. And that they would have this desire to want to grow more deeply if they already do know you. And also to make you known. In your name I pray, amen.